0: Well, this morning we have come to think about how what seem to be very small acts often have huge consequences. Uh, It brings us again to Genesis chapter three, because that's what happened in in human perspective. What took place when the man and woman disobeyed God and, and ate a piece of forbidden fruit in human perspective, that seems like a small thing, right? And yet the consequences of it have been enormous Who could have ever imagined it would lead to the fall of the entire human race and to the pain and suffering that we have and to the whole world being out of sync. Uh, We should understand it because as a Christian poet and pastor from the 16th or 17th century, John Donne, in thinking about creation, thinking about the book of Genesis, he would say no man is an island in other words, we're all interconnected. God created this so that what one person does has an effect upon other things. And especially people being made in the image of God have the opportunity to have our lives make a difference in this world. And that's a positive thing. You know, it matters that we live. What we do or do not do, what we say or do not say has an effect that goes far beyond anything we could imagine. But it also has this um, awesome element to it, doesn't it? That we know that we have the ability to do great harm to the people around us and to the world in which God has put us. Now, we know that this is true, that sometimes things that seem to be small often have huge consequences. I've been thinking about this and talking with people about it all week. I've thought about my own life. Uh, Back in high school, I made a decision uh, at the last minute to go to college in Chicago. I had been planning to go in West Virginia, my home, the last minute. I planned to go to school in Chicago, and it was amazing. My whole life is different because of that. It was in Chicago that I met my wife, Chris. I wouldn't have met her if, I, if that little decision hadn't been made. And what would have happened with my children, Brandon and Heather? I mean, if, have you ever thought about that? Try to unravel, go back and make a different decision that you made earlier and just think about how little things have big, big consequences? Well, many people have seen this, and books have been written about it, so many movies have been made, so many of you have given me examples of it, but one that was sent to me by a friend, his name is Dr. William Cheshire, he's the professor of neurology at the uh, at Mayo Clinic College of Medicine, and he's also a bioethicist, he did a lecture, after he saw that I was talking about this, he did a lecture and he sent me a part of it, the lecture was entitled, The Ethical Significance of Embryonic Stem Cell Research. And he said, maybe this will help people to see how small things often become things that are much bigger. So I put it up here. It's a little complex, but I think you can follow it so that you can hear me as well as see it. Uh, Dr. Cheshire wrote, weighty matters sometimes concern the very small. In physics, splitting the atom changed the world. In biology, mutation of a single nucleotide base pair can give rise to diseases such as sickle cell anemia. In music, melody reaches the brain by way of the body's smallest bones positioned within the middle ear. And he went on to give many other examples. And then back to the small human embryo. Dr. Cheshire wrote, The human embryo, likewise, is a small detail of vast importance. To consider the embryo vis-a-vis these preceding analogies is to to encounter a small entity that is a living clue to the mystery of emerging humanity. To this one naturally responds in awe, regardless of what one's views may be on politics, jurisprudence, stem cell research, or cloning. Thoughtful people generally agree that the beginning of human life marks something special. The initiation of the human form during embryogenesis, the beginning of the embryo, is a phenomenon unlike any other in biology, he wrote. From this humble beginning emerged the minds of scientists, physicians, poets, philosophers, and yes, lawyers alike. It's an amazing statement. It has so many implications you know, in high school, in physics class. Uh, I learned a little bit about Newton's third law of motion. Uh, You you know it. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Now, I'm telling you, when it comes to uh, morality, I'm going to add something to it. Sometimes uh, I call it the law of unintended consequences. In, in, In the choices that you and I make, I am telling you, our action will have a reaction. It will have a reaction. But I want you to know that the reaction may be fully unintended unexpected and probably will be much more significant than anything we could have ever imagined. And again, that brings us back to Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember last week? Those of you who are here may remember it if you listened well. Those of you who are not, I'll just, remind, I'll just tell you about this. We looked at Genesis chapter 3 and we thought about how temptation takes root in our, in our lives. I pointed out that so often it happens in a certain context or atmosphere Where the ways of God are are being mocked. People think, who on earth would believe that anymore? And that's what the serpent made them think. Did he really say that? And then it goes on to sometimes looking back at what God has said and and doubting whether what God has asked us to do is good. You know if you do it his way, your life won't be as good. If you go your own way, it will be better. You can become like God. Do you remember that? And then in that context, they made the choice. After I spoke about that, I've heard from so many of you and and so many of us have said we could see that happening in so much of our lives. We have seen those times of our own personal failure, often taking root just as it did for Eve and Adam. Well, today we come back again and we're going to be thinking about this huge issue that what we do matters. And when we choose to turn away from God, it has an enormous effect, a negative effect upon the entire world. What are the consequences? There are more than I could ever discuss in the few moments that we have. But I'm going to be doing what, what we have talked about before, namely looking at how it affects all of our human relationships. Do you remember that I said a part of the image of God in you and me is this, this remarkable ability that God has given us to, to know him. And to have a relationship with Him, this remarkable ability that we have to have a relationship with our world that that maintains the goodness of the world by the things that we do and the choices we make, and even to have a relationship, a growing relationship with people. Well, I want us to see today that when we turn away from God, all of those relationships are harmed. Um, Because not only did they damage Adam and Eve, but they brought damage to all of us who have come after them. And in fact, there's one verse in the Bible that just puts it so concisely. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, in which Paul would simply say, "In Adam all die. Now we'll start there. We are going to get to some hope in a moment, but let's start there. What died? First of all, this right relationship that people had, walking and talking with God, was harmed. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. After they had sinned, the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God as he came walking in. Notice that phrase. God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And then the man and the woman hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This notion of walking is a Hebrew idiom. It's a beautiful one. You also find it in chapter 2. This notion of walking with. It is a beautiful term of, of relationship. It, it has to do with a person that we enjoy life with. Have you done that? Somebody that you just enjoy being with. And that relationship grows deeper and deeper. It really is one of these beautiful Hebrew thoughts about the friendships that are real friendships where we know one another and support one another. And here we see that that is what God meant to do with us. God created human beings in his image and it fully intended to have this kind of walking with relationship with us. So here it is a God who wants to have a relationship with us and us people who were made to live well when we have a relationship with God, walking with God. And this is what Adam and Eve had done in chapter two. But now, here in chapter 3, what do we find them doing? They're hiding from. No longer walking with God, which, which is what they were made for, but, but hiding things from God. And so has become a pattern that I think has affected all of the world. Not walking with, but trying to hide aspects of God. Now, why is it that we try to hide parts of our lives from God? Why is it, if if I'll put it the way I really think about it, that most people, most of us, don't really know if we want to walk with God. We don't know if we want to. Why? This brings me back. One of the central aspects of sin is putting anything in God's place. It's the first commandment. Let God alone be God. Nothing in the place, nothing in the face of God. And the first sin began in Genesis 3 really came in the breaking of that first command. Adam and Eve didn't think that what God wanted them to do was as good as what they wanted to do. They put their own choice in the place of God and went their own way. They didn't trust what he wanted them to do to be good. They thought, we can do it better. So bottom line, sin is about power and control. And we human beings don't want to be controlled by anything. Or, uh, As I often say, am I the only one? We don't even want to be controlled by God, which is one of the things that I really have a problem with as I see so much of what is happening in American Christianity. We have so many people in our church who come from other places, and maybe it's happening there, too. But what I see even sometimes proclaimed from the pulpit is your, your religion can sort of give you whatever you want. You show up. Hold your hands in the right way when you pray and get there often enough, and God will have to give you whatever you want. Whatever you determine is your best life, he's, he's going to have to give it to you now. And so the, it's almost like this relationship with God is a business contract. We sort of weigh the benefits of this thing. Okay, if I show up at Lake Avenue Church and I go home and I, and I feel better and my, my life is better and I get everything that I want, well, okay, I'm in. But if it doesn't go well, I'm going to go somewhere else. Or I'm going to find some other kind of religion. It's a business contract. But one of the things you need to know is when you and I enter into a relationship with the kind of God that we find in the book of Genesis chapter 1, it's not going to be a a business contract. Do you know what we are called to? It's called a covenantal relationship. It's a beautiful notion in, in the Bible. A covenant is a relationship where people commit themselves to one another. And it's not a matter of the benefit you gain from that other person. You live life. You walk together in life. And it's what means so much to us. Those of us who have experienced it, we know what that is like. And that's what this relationship with God is like. But the big question is, what does it mean to have that kind of covenantal relationship with a God like we find in Genesis 1? What does it mean to walk with a God who... When there's nothingness, he speaks, and everything comes into being out of nothing. I'll tell you one thing is going to happen, that we're not going to have power over him, right? When it comes to issues of control and power, if we're going to walk with God, there's only one person who is God, and that is God. And the moment you and I try to put ourselves into his place and say, I'm going to do it my way, uh, that is the moment when things come into our lives that we try to hide And so what happened in their lives was this beautiful relationship with God where we know God. And those of us who have entered into it through faith in Christ, humbly saying, Father, there's a part of me I've been hiding from you. I give it to you. Will you take it? And he takes it and forgives us. And we walk with him and know his presence and know his forgiveness and know his power. We know how beautiful that is, right? But what happens when we hold on to these parts of our lives We tried to hide them. And what happens is our relationship with God moves from faith to fear, from walking with to hiding from. And we don't live well. We don't live well. Because we were made to walk with God. Second, there was another consequence our right relationship with our world was harmed. When we see the suffering and the pain in our world and say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. The Bible lets us know this is where it all began. Look at chapter three, verse 17. To Adam, God said, cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. Now notice that. This whole world was to be blessed because of us. You remember Genesis one and two. God has put us here to take care of the world. Our actions can bring about goodness or harm. And and he put us here because this was a very good world. And made in his image, we could make decisions that would be a blessing to the world. But now, because we walk away from God, cursed is the ground because of you. It's an amazing statement. And now it's going to affect you, Adam. Through painful toil, you're going to eat of it all the days of your life. What happened was that the fulfilling and joyous work that God had created Adam and Eve to do and that they experienced in Genesis 2 suddenly suddenly took on a painful and, and boring, at times, aspect to it. You see, our work is supposed to bring us fulfillment and satisfaction. It's great whenever we accomplish something and our day really matters, right? But now, work doesn't always bring that to us. And what he is introduced is something that all of us have experienced. It's not that work never brings us satisfaction, but I'm telling you, there are always aspects to our work that are so frustrating, aren't there? I so often say to people, if you're looking for the absolutely perfect job where there are no difficulties and no challenges, you're not going to find it this side of heaven. I better tell you, I've almost found it here at Lake Avenue. I I mean, I'm really close. I'm really, I'm really close. But even here, this is not heaven yet. Because what happened is even our relationship to the world began to be affected. We began to be cold The elements which once had brought great joy started to be things that, that though we were supposed to control them, they started controlling us. Things like we have been experiencing in Haiti. We often think, why doesn't God just overturn all the effects of human evil? Think about how bizarre a world that would be. If every time any one of us went our own way rather than God's, God had to quickly overturn it, we would no longer be human. God had to find another way. The consequences of our sins are real and they affect our world affect our relationship with God. But God has said, I'm going to bring about another world where people who have come to be and been remade by me. But while we're in this world, we're going to see these consequences. And eventually even death was introduced. Look at verse 19. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, remember how he was created, for dust you are and to dust you will return. Uh, So, as some have said, the dirt became their enemy. Thorns and thistles came about and difficulties happened and things in our world don't always happen. The way we have to battle with so much in our world. Um, When I read this, I was reminded again, I'm going to show my age to some of you. When I used to read the essays by Irma Bombeck, do any of you remember those? I I thought they were so funny. I went back to try to find this one. I couldn't find it, but I remember it well enough that I think I can tell it to you. Irma Bombeck once wrote, she said, as a homemaker, my whole life is dominated by dirt. Homemakers, do you you agree with it? She says, "I, I fight it in the kitchen. I fight it down the hallways. I fight it into the bathrooms. I fight it all the way back into the bedrooms. And when I'm done, at one end of the house, I have to go all the way back and start all over again because all of the dirt is back there again. It never ends, she said. And then she said, at the end of life, what do I get? Six feet of dirt. In the end, the dirt wins. <laughs> I think it is just just a great, a great essay. To help us remember what Genesis 3 talks about. That this relationship to the world that God has put us in, which should bring such great joy to us, has been affected. And Paul would write about it in Romans chapter 8. You can read through that text where he says God has come back into this world and is remaking what was lost in this sin. And one part of that world that's going to be remade is the material order. So he says, beginning with chapter 8, verse 22, I hope you go home and read it, that, that all creation groans, knowing that what we experience is not all that it should be, longing for that day when God completes his work and when all will be made new. Because the sin that seems so small had consequences for our relationship to the world that God has put us in. A third part that was affected was our relationship uh, with people was harmed. Um, God has always existed as one God but three persons. So God has always existed in relationship. And when he made us in his image, he made us to really enjoy life when we have a relationship with people. You know this is true, right? I mean, you go to a movie and if you go it alone, it's no, not nearly as fun as to have a friend. Even a bad movie becomes fun when you can go and start talking about it with your friend. We, we were meant to enjoy life together with open, meaningful relationships. But look at what happened in Genesis 3, beginning with verse 11. They sinned and the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. And made coverings for themselves. And then God came in verse 11. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, well, this woman that you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then, of course, she blamed the serpent. Now, there's so much that I want to say about how our sin affects our relationships with one another. And our time is so short. So I'm only going to use two words and I think that they'll go home to you. One, shame. Two, blame. Shame and blame. Two things that just destroy our relationships. Look in chapter 2, verse 28. Adam and Eve had no shame in their relationship. And yet everything changes in chapter 3, verse 7, after they disobeyed God. They looked at themselves, and suddenly they thought, we're naked and they go and try to find fig leaves. I guess that's the best thing they could find and try to sew them together into clothes. Not many of us are wearing fig leaves. As I'm, glad, I'm glad to say here at Lake Avenue <laughs> Church today. The question I have when I read this is, from whom are they hiding? This is before God was walking into the garden. And the obvious answer is they're hiding from one another. They're hiding from one another. There's something about themselves that they want to hide now from that other person. And I'll tell you, this began a pattern that has destroyed our relationships ever since. All of us in our church who are involved as therapists or counselors or pastors and really any of you who are friends. and You're dealing with another friend who is having a hard time with a friendship relationship. You'll come back and you'll know that so much of that damage in relationship starts right here. That, that we have a relationship supposedly to a person, but then we find out that that person has a hidden part of his or her life that we don't want to reveal to that other person. And when we hide that, that means that there is something separated from that other person. It distances relationships because it's not open. It's not transparent and it's not honest. And sometimes when that comes out into the open, it, it just feels like all trust has been broken that can never be restored. Uh, I just feel it. The moment I talk about this, all of us know that this is true because we have these hidden parts of our lives that, that destroy our, our human relationships. We were meant to live life with one another. It wasn't good for people to be alone, but now they're starting to become alone again. At least the part of them they're having bear alone, hoping they can work through this, and it damages our human relationships. So they their eyes supposedly were open. And as another place in the Bible says, to the pure all things are pure. But to the corrupt, nothing is pure. Now when you think about it this in, in regard to what happened here, what happened was when they were pure, everything in this world had innocence. But after sin entered in, there was nothing that was completely innocent. Suddenly, uh, now that they disobeyed God, all things become possible. In their imaginations, all sorts of things become possible even with one another. And they blushed. So this discovery of sin introduced a tension into the relationship. For the first time, they have a suspicion, distrust self-consciousness and embarrassment so that they could never be really fully open with one another in the relationships. They veiled their body in this pathetic attempt to cover up what's really going on in their thoughts. And in many ways, they simply became alone again. As I describe this, doesn't this have this ring of truth to what has happened to us? Shame, damaging and destroying our relationships with one another. And then there was this blame. This blame game. This I'm the victim game begins with Genesis chapter 3. It begins with with, uh, Adam blaming God. This woman that you made, God, you gave her to me. Oh, it's your fault. And it's something that I've heard so often and I can see myself thinking that. God made me this way so I can do whatever I want and it's really his fault. You ever heard anybody say something like that instead of owning the choices that we make? Uh, So that that that, then then he blamed the woman, which brought a a lasting rift. In fact, that one phrase, uh, because you listen to the woman, you're going to be judged, has created incredible problems for pastors ever since. Husband saying I don't have to listen to my wife ever. Just not to your wife above God. Just not to your wife above God. God first. Always. But. But so don't misread this, husbands. But what happened here is enmity, that a struggle even in, in the genders began to happen. Something I'll talk about much more in another day when I have time, if you let me continue to be your pastor and you keep coming to church. All I have to say is that this blaming happened. So here we learn something else about sin. On the vertical level, we have been learning in these weeks that sin is putting anything in the place of God. And especially ourselves. This thought that if I go my own way, it's better than God's. Now we're going to see that on a horizontal level, sin is justifying ourselves at the expense of others. It's saying another person's life to enhance mine. As my good friend Coffee Washington always says, it's a readiness to throw somebody else under the bus. Which is exactly what Adam tried to do with Eve in this particular time. This thought that I can give somebody else up for my benefit has led to countless sins. What am I talking about? Embezzlement? Gossip? Racism? War? War? The thought that my way is more important than that other person's way. Now I'll tell you, this matter of us putting ourselves first before God and for other people is a sin that simply must be confessed to God because we're, we're so prone in that direction to have our whole lives revolve around ourselves. And I'll tell you, it's one that has to be forgiven and we have to be remade if our church is going to be the kind of church that brings glory to God. I've asked myself so much, how can we be the church that God says the church is in which the walls that separate generations are down and we worship and serve together and the walls that separate uh, different ethnicities are down and and different tastes and music are down because if our tendency is, I just want a church that I like and I want it to do it the way I want it to be done. If that happens, the church can only divide. It's only when we, we have the humility to say, Father, I am one also who has had things hidden and I cannot blame others. I desperately need your grace. So, Father, I'm just grateful I can even be in your family. If we have that attitude, then we might be willing to give up rights to bring blessing to others. It's why in the New Testament consistently it tells us we'll only be a church that shows the unity of the body of Christ if we're willing to give up our interests to bring about benefit to others. Have you read Philippians chapter 2? It's a powerful text. The Apostle Paul essentially starts with four phrases that basically say if there's anything true about the gospel, if there's anything true about the Bible, if God is even there, then there's one thing you have to do. You must look to the interests of the others as greater than your own or you'll never bring glory to God. Have I gone from preaching to meddling here maybe? I can feel the church people turning back to Paul and saying, Paul, what on earth does that look like? And him saying, it looks like Jesus. Philippians 4, 5 through 11. Who, though he was in very nature God, didn't consider that position to be something he had to hold on to. But looked to our interest as greater. Emptied himself. Took on the form of a servant. Even went to a cross. So that we could be in the family of God. Treat one another that way. And you will show the unity of the body of Christ. You see, when I I look at Genesis 3, there were certainly circumstances that led up to it. There were other people around while the serpent and Adam and Eve around. But at the end of the day, they made the choice themselves. Mark this down. There is nothing in this world that makes us sin. We were not pre-wired so that we have to. It was a choice that was made. And so, too, though there may be others who are involved, at the end of the day, our only path to victory is to own it. Father, I knew. And this is what I did. And will you forgive me and remake me? It's the beginning to victory. So our relationship to one another was harmed. And then finally, just a word about this. Something I've thought about in a new way recently. I I think that even our own understandings of ourselves, what we are like, was affected by sin. Look at verse 10. There's just one word I want you to see. The man then answered to God, I was afraid because I was naked. This Hebrew word translated naked is also a Hebrew idiom. It has to do with something that once was hidden or we thought was or we weren't ashamed of that suddenly is exposed. We even use the word sometimes that way. I just felt naked. Just something that has been opened up. It almost always has to do with us having this feeling. I know that there's something wrong with me. And, and we've tried and harm's relationships. We, we've tried to hide it. And often we try to work that out on our own, on our own strength. We were meant to walk with God so that God would help us. But we try to do it on our own. We can't get there. So we know, here's the way I should be. And we know inside this is the way I am. And we work and work and work. And we try to become like that and we fall short. Uh, This is what has led to to, to so much discouragement in our lives. uh, To depression at times. Because we say, why can't I, I get there? It really is what is at the root of perfectionism. And really it is hopeless for us because we don't have in our own human strength the ability to overcome our failures. And at that point we come back to the Word of God and it says you need to walk with God and it starts with truth setting you free. See what happened is when the man sinned then there was a part of himself that he felt like he had to hide And he tried to get there on his own, but he could not get there. And so the joy of life is just drained out of us. You're with me here, aren't you? I've been a pastor for a while. And so many times in the life of the churches I've pastored, one of the persons who's been a very faithful part of the church has had this hidden part of his or her life. Then it comes out into the open. And everybody finds out about it. And if that person will talk to me as their pastor, usually they'll say something like this, My life is ruined. Everybody's found out about that. My my life is ruined. My spouse knows. My kids. The rest of the church. There's no real hope for me anymore. What do I say? First of all, I I try to point out what I do every week here. That all of us have those parts of our lives. So all of us need grace. Right? But another thing that I often try to to, to point out is this. Yes, this can be the ruin of your life. It, It can be. If you turn away from God... And indulge in that way of life. Kind of like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that Stevenson wrote about. That, that part, the same person. But, but if you allow Mr. Hyde to take over your life, yes, it can lead to your ruin. But I'm telling you, my feeling is, when that part of us has been exposed, that is our beginning of hope. As long as we hold on to that thing, it's like a cancer. It keeps eating away at us. It, but as Jesus said, truth will set you free when the light shines into that hidden place. Then we have a choice to make. Will we say, God, I'm going to give it to you. Will you take it? And you know what he says? I'll take it and throw it as far as east is from the west. Then he'll be able to work with us on the basis of what is true about us rather than what is hidden and false about us. It is really the beginning of our hope when the light shines into the depths of our lives and we can become people of integrity. Which brings me back again to one of the parts of the gospel that I love so much. I showed it to you at the beginning of the service and so we come to it again. It is about God's renewing grace. Grace, we don't deserve it. We've all sinned as Adam and Eve sinned. Amen? Well, i got a few. But God knows that though we don't deserve it, grace means He's willing to give us something we don't deserve. As a gift through faith. And when we do, he makes us new. I love this phrase. God's renewing grace as he begins to walk with us in newness of life. And so this phrase, the renewing grace of God is greater than our shame. The renewing grace of God is greater than our failure. The renewing grace of God is greater than our guilt. Hallelujah. The renewing grace of God is greater than our sins. And God is ready to start walking with us again. The most devastating thing about Romans, uh, Genesis chapter 3 is that at the end, in ch- verses 23 and 24, uh, the Lord God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden had to work the ground in which he'd been taken it wasn't that god was no longer present but that conscious awareness of the presence of god walking with him was not there and unfortunately that, that happened not only to adam but to all posterity and since you and i have been made to walk with god if we're going to live well the loss has been enormous a can kind of fish live outside of water that's where it was meant to live and the question is can you and i really live without god we cannot live well so where is the hope may i bring you back to 1 corinthians 15:22 you know i only showed you a part of that verse as in adam all die so in Christ shall all be made alive. The consequence of that one act of sin that reverberates down through history and affects each one of us, another act in history came in that can set that thing into the opposite motion and lead to forgiveness and to the remaking until this phrase happens in First Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, that person becomes a new creation. This old way introduced by Adam, that's gone. And in Christ, the new has come.